Thanks. Thanks. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. Wow, you get double the trouble this morning. Yeah! <laughs> Brought our fan club with us. So... Um, I've set my stopwatch so I don't get in trouble with my wife later. Um, so um, we are going to, this is the turbo version. If you want the uh, slightly extended version, listen to the first talk from this morning. Um, so I'm, without any further gilding of the lily, I'm just going to dive straight in, if that's okay. Um, so a few weeks ago, I felt God speaking to me about uh, myself, but also I think this is for the church. And he said to me, Phil, your, the, your seen muscles are much bigger than your unseen muscles. It's time to bulk up. It's time to bulk up. And uh, on that very same day that God spoke that to me, I was having a conversation with a friend of ours, uh, Tom and Susie Brock, who were here a few Sundays ago from the States. And they just happened to be sharing that in America, a lot of times, a lot of uh, larger churches in the States, the, the second staff appointment, full-time staff appointment that a lot of churches make is someone who's paid full-time to pray. Full-time to pray. And then they made this comment, they said, it sure shows where your dependence really is, on man's solutions or God's. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. And I thought, Jesus, you are speaking. And ever since, I've just been in this process personally of just kind of reevaluating priorities in my own life and trying to work out where is my priority, where is my uh, dependence? Is it on my own ability to create solutions? Or is it on a God who alone can create the solutions that this world really needs? And so God has been speaking to me about this. And the reality is that when God saved you, he didn't save you into a relationship with him of interdependence. God does not depend on you for anything. He saved you into complete dependence on him. A lifestyle where you have to live a life of faith that unless he shows up, then not much is going to happen. And if you are living a life of faith that requires zero intervention from heaven, you are not living the life that Christ saves you for. He saved you into a kingdom where we have to believe things that only he can do. And because we're connected to him, we believe that they can happen. He has enlisted you to believe for the impossible and to obtain them through prayer. And I want to prophesy that we are on the brink of a prayer revolution and awakening in this church. And that God is birthing something new, he's birthing something fresh, and he has an invitation for all of us this morning to join what he is doing and to bulk up our spiritual prayer muscles. And actually the reality is when we learn to obtain promises in prayer, both the practical and the profound things happen. I heard a story of a friend of mine who was telling me of a time when he was smuggling Bibles into communist Germany many, many years ago. And he just finished this particular ministry trip and he was meant to be going to the airport and he was running late and he was waiting for his friend to pick him up. Eventually he gets picked up from uh, the place where he was staying in this kind of beat out old car that looked like it wasn't going to get around the block, let alone the airport. And so they're driving along the highway. This thing is kind of rickety. It's like one of these old larders. Remember those? I think it was like, you know, ricketing along this highway. Suddenly it starts to snow, a blizzard, and there's just snow kind of coming down every direction. And then this car breaks down in the middle of the highway. And my friend's looking at his watch. He's like, God, please get me to the airport. And so his friend gets out of the car, lifts up the bonnet, and just starts doing some mechanical work 
truck there and then on the highway. Gets his spanners out, his screwdrivers, his wrenches, and he's literally starting to pull bits out of the engine and put them on the side of the road. He's pulling out the fan belt and this, that, and the other, and it's all there on the side of the road. And eventually my friend says to him, I haven't got time for this. I've got to get to the airport. Let me pray for the car. So he gets out, he lays hands on the bonnet of the car, and he says, in Jesus' name, work. He's like, right, get back in the car and try and start the engine. So this guy goes back in. He starts the engine. Now, all the engine parts are still on the side of the road. He he tries to start the engine, and the car starts instantly. So they smash the bonnet down. They throw all the loose bits of the engine back into the car, and off they drive to the airport. Listen, God cares about the practical things of life that we obtain answers through in prayer, but also the profound things. The profound things. I love driving past Moggahanger Park. Just up the road. How many of you have been to Moggahanger Park? Moggahanger Park uh, used to belong, used to be the home of a banker called Henry Thornton in the 18th century. And uh, he was a member of a group called the Clapham Sect. Not Clapham, Bedfordshire, uh, Clapham, London. And uh, they would occasionally go to Henry's house and seek God together for the abolition of the slave trade. And at that particular moment in 18th century Britain, the abolition of slavery was considered absolutely impossible because most of the wealth of the British Empire was built on the back of the slave trade. The most influential, the most powerful politicians, the most influential businessmen, more often than not, were men who were engaged with the slave trade and had an interest in it continuing. And yet this Clapham sect used to meet at Moggahanger Park and other places like it and seek God together and say, God, will he abolish this slave trade? Will he bring an end? Will he bring the emancipation of slaves right across the nations? And they used to gather together to pray. And they, in their day, they were considered absolute religious nuts. They were given the nickname, the saints, because they were always campaigning for the breaking in of the kingdom. And they would pray, and they would pray. And then in 1807, Parliament passed the law for the abolition of the slave trade. After years of praying and seeking God and asking him for breakthrough, God cares about breaking into the impossible things. And the way that he does that is through seeking him in prayer. We've got to be convinced that if we're going to see answers in the natural, we've got to first obtain them in the invisible realm. This is the way God works. You think about David as he, as he runs to meet Goliath. That's what scripture says. When he saw this giant Goliath, it says David ran to Goliath. I don't know how you, you would be, but David ran to Goliath. And what we know about David is that he was a young man of prayer. He was a young man of worship. He learned how to fight lions and bears when he was in private. He learned how to sing his songs. We've got David's songbook in our Bibles, 150 psalms, many of which David wrote in secret, in private, as he sought the Lord, which is why when he sees a whacking great giant, he runs. Why? Because he'd already obtained secret promises from God. I tell you, when you obtain secret promises in prayer, you run to Goliath because you already know what you've obtained from him in the secret place. Hebrews 11 says this, by faith we understand that God made everything that was visible from the invisible. What does that tell you? It tells you that the invisible realm where God lives is more substantial than the chair you're sitting on right now. God creates something out of nothing. Therefore, when we're tackling the issues that we find around us in our circumstances, the first place that you go to obtain answers is not your own self-reliant ability, but the God who can raise the dead. The God who alone can bring breakthrough. God is calling us, he's drawing us in to believe him for impossible things. 
I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, we have two responsibilities. We have a public responsibility and a private responsibility. Our public responsibility is to attempt great exploits of faith and to believe God for the impossible. It's to pray for the sick. It's to, it's to do the impossible, to do great exploits of faith. But our private responsibility is to seek God and obtain promises from him in the secret place. Father, would you eradicate cancer from this planet? Father, would you deal a death blow to depression? Will you, will you stop suicide amongst young men in this nation? Father, would you break through? Would you stop terrorist bombings in the major cities in Europe? Father, break in. You have a private responsibility charged by God to be his ambassador in the secret place. Because change starts there first. And you will prove whether you really believe that or not by the way in which you prioritize your time. Because I tell you, self-reliant people do not have much time for prayer. It shows where your dependence really is. And there is a prayer awakening about to happen. There is something stirring in the waters, I'm telling you. There is something happening that God is awakening his people again to pray. He's calling us again to seek his face. I love Isaiah 62. I do apologize to the words people at the back because this is bearing no resemblance to anything, but there you go. Isaiah 62 says this. It's a picture of the prayer in intercession and seeking the Father. It says, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication, all kings your glory, and you will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. And then here is a description of you and me. I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent, day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest, and give him no rest, until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of all the earth. That is a picture of the church at prayer, a people who are so captivated by the possibility that they give him no rest until he does it. That's the kind of people he's calling us to be. This coming Thursday, we've got our next Thirst 24 prayer gathering where I would invite all of you to come. I would love all of you people in this room, I'd love us to have not enough space to fit the whole church in. Seriously, make it a top priority because the answer to meeting the needs out there and in your workplace and in your family and in the nations starts first in the invisible realm where we gather as a family and we obtain secret promises from the Father and then we go and meet Goliath. So can I invite you to come this Thursday? If you've got kids, feel free to bring them. You can also sign up for personal prayer slots. We can have a prayer room. You can sign up. All of it's online. But guys, let's start a prayer awakening in our church. Something is happening right across the world, but God's inviting us to join him. And to show us some of the ways in which we can do that, Carol's going to come. Morning. Okay, I'm going to do a, an hour-long preach in 15 minutes. Are you ready? It's going to be brilliant. Um, like I said in the first service, it's, it's not every day that you get to preach with your best, your favourite preacher and your favourite person. So it's a very special day for Phil. 
Thank you. Thank you. I really enjoy that joke. Okay. Let's get to it. Um, so my job today is to um, help us learn how to partner with Jesus in this. And before I get onto the nitty gritty, um, what I really need to mention is that the very foundation on which we pray, on the very foundation on which we come and intercede on behalf of the nation and our loved ones is the victory of the cross. At the cross, Jesus won every victory needed. It's there that he won salvation, that he won healing and deliverance. It is at the cross that the the power of death and sin was utterly and completely defeated. Okay, Jesus done it. He won it all. He paid with his blood for every one of the goods. And actually what we get to do as we come and pray in, in, in intercession is to release everything that God has already accomplished at the cross. And it's from this place, the place of the cross in what Jesus has done, that our prayers receive their power and their authority. Okay, your prayers are powerful because of what Jesus has done. Your prayers are powerful because he, the living God, the one who made the heavens and the earth and flung every star into space, he has called you and me to come and co-labor with him. He puts his arm around us and he says, come on, come and have a go with me. Release all that I have done as you come and pray. And this is co-laboring. This is the gift of intercession. And I just want to call us again. Let's be those that stand in the gap. Did you realize that that's how powerful your prayers are? No wonder God says that the prayers of the righteous have great power as they are working, because he has made it so. So how do we do it? Okay, four things. And the first one is this, it's praying back God's promises. Do you know, this book right here is not just a library of stories and books and teaching. This is the very living word of God. And God says it's alive, it's active, it penetrates hearts, it is powerful. This book is full of eternal truths. And God says that his word does not return to him empty, but it accomplishes his desires and the very purpose for which he sent it. And when we pray the promises of God, it is very powerful. Do you know, every time you come to pray for a sick person and um, they need healing, you can remember God has said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons because freely you have received, now freely give. This is a promise of God. It gives you authority. In that moment, you can remind God, God, you said, you said, I have freely received. Now I freely give what you have promised. This is one of my favorite promises. Though the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus has come that we may have life and life in all its fullness. This is a great promise, and I want to call you every person, every place where you see someone living without the fullness of life, we've got a promise that we can release and declare all over them. And I can remember someone um, who's in my life that's very special to me. I could see that they were struggling at a certain time. And um, I couldn't work out what was going on. And I um, just started to pray and said, God, what do you want me to do? And I felt him say to me, I want you to fast for a month and pray in tongues for an hour every morning for this person for breakthrough. And during this month, it came to light that the enemy was stealing and killing and destroying them. And he had got them into a situation that they couldn't get out of. And it had led them to become suicidal. They had made four near attempts. And I had a promise from God to pray over them. And I just started to release the, the fullness of life over that person. And during that month, 
everything changed. God opened up that situation and made a way for them to get out of that supernaturally. I can't tell you the whole story now, but also they are alive, they are well, they are loving life because actually God has fullness of life and his promise is now at work in their life rather than the enemy's schemes. So many other promises. And, you know, I do just want to say that so far I have got a 100% failure rate at praying for the dead and seeing them come back to life. Okay, there you go. There's my confession for the morning. But you know what? I, every time I have an opportunity to pray for a dead person, I am going to remember and agree with and hold on to the promises of God. And I'm going to pray for every dead person that I have the opportunity to. Because God says we will raise the dead. He says that at the cross, he has defeated the power of sin and death. And do you know what? The person I prayed for, I've decided that they were having such a nice time in heaven that they didn't want to come back. And do you know what? That's fine. Good for them. They can stay there. But do you know what I also believe? If they hadn't have made it to heaven, if they were in hell, I believe that the power of my prayers could reach in and pull them out just long enough so I could share the gospel with them and they could go to heaven. Anyway, moving on. Next one, declaration. So the prophet Jeremiah, it's very interesting when you look at some of his prayers, but he literally, he speaks to the nation and he tells them to listen up. He says, listen, O nation. You can read it in Jeremiah 6 and 22. And I want to ask you, have you ever done this? Have you done this? Do you do this over your town or your nation? I mean, I love doing this. I love to stand in my front room and I speak to Bedford. And I say, Bedford, wake up. Wake up and know the love of God. Revival is coming to you. The love of God is coming and you are not going to escape the love of God. And I just start to declare revival. I start to declare healing. I start to declare restoration over marriages. Guys, your, prayer, your, your words are powerful. The Bible says the power of life and death is in the tongue. Yes. Okay, that's how powerful your tongue is. Start to think about what you are speaking. Parents, what are you declaring over your teenagers? What are you declaring over your kids? What are you declaring over the schools in this area? Me and Tony and Ali went around one of the upper schools and just started to declare some of God's stuff over them. And it was a bit embarrassing because it was parents' evening. There were quite a lot of people there. We kind of went in the dark, didn't think we'd get caught. But anyway, declaring and releasing the promises of God in that place. And it's powerful. And things will change in that school because of what happened there. Let me tell you this story quickly. How would you like to get this assignment from God? Several years ago, the Lord sent a man called Dick Eastman to Berlin. The Berlin Wall was up and Dick felt the Holy Spirit prompting him with these instructions. I want you to get on an aeroplane, fly to Germany, go to the Berlin Wall, lay your hands upon it and say five words to it. In Jesus' name, come down. And that was it, end of assignment. Five words and then he could go home. <coughs> and that's exactly what he did because he understood the power of de- prophetic action and declaration. And Dick would never claim to be the only person used by God to bring down the Berlin Wall. However, Very shortly after this, the wall was torn down. Guys, what are you declaring? What walls are you commanding to come tumbling down? What mountains are you commanding to jump into the sea? Your words are powerful. Okay, warfare, we're doing well. 
Again, I'm not going to read it now because of time, but go home and read Ephesians 6. What a great passage. And this talks to us about the spiritual battle that we are in. And it talks about us not being in a battle against flesh and blood, but against um, spiritual authorities and, um, let me get it right, cosmic powers um, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness. And then in verse 18, it says, Therefore pray in all times in the Spirit, making all prayer and supplication etc, etc. Do you know, there is a very real battle going on. If you haven't realized that already, know that today there is a real spiritual battle going on. But the Bible is very clear. It is never against flesh and blood, ever. And I know that it can feel like it is, particularly in a world where, they're, they're, you know, terrorism is happening and things like that. It can feel like we're praying against flesh and blood. Okay, but, but we're not. Remember the Apostle Paul He was the Saul. He was the one murdering the Christians, and God came and broke in, okay? And the Bible is also very clear that the battle has already been won, okay? When we enter into spiritual warfare, when we enter into the battle, we always come from a place of hope, from a place of victory, because, again, Jesus has done it all. And the thing with prophetic intercession is that we don't have to be on the defense. We don't just have to respond when calamity comes. But, you know, God is raising up prophets, intercessors to hear the voice of God that we can be on the offensive. And even right now, there's particular things I'm praying over particular cities because I felt the Spirit has led me there. And I can remember a number of years ago, a friend of and myself, we were praying for a particular city and we were praying about something not very nice we were praying about a pedophile ring to be exposed and brought to justice because we knew some things connected to this and we um, felt we should fast and pray again for a month and um, during near the end of that month my friend rang me (coughs) and she said have you seen the news and I was like no I haven't so I put the news on and in that very city a massive massive pedophile ring had been exposed and was now being brought to justice and I'm not claiming that we were the only ones involved in bringing that to light but that was engaging with spiritual warfare and Jesus always brings the victory he always brings the victory okay last one we're doing all right praying together in unity Okay, in Acts 1, it talks about the church coming together and crying out with one accord and with one voice. And I do believe that this is a now message for us as a church. I know that there's so many people in this church who are great prayers and intercessors. I know that there's many that get together in groups and come and pray and seek God for breakthrough. But I feel like God is calling us as a church family to come together again and stand together arm in arm, link by link, and come and cry out for the sake of the nations together for worldwide revival. And in Mark 11, Jesus says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And you know, it's time for King's House to be called a house of prayer for all nations. 
It is time for King's Arms Church to be called a house of prayer for all nations. And it is time for corporate prayer and worship to be made a very, very high priority. It is time to say no to some other things so we can say yes to prayer. It is time for us to come together and get on our knees so the nations can get back on our feet. Do you know there are some battles that twos and threes cannot win on their own. There are some battles where we are needed as a whole church family because God made us as a family. He made us as an army to come and stand together with our armor on and call on the name of the Lord to break in.